0: Hey, I'm Natasha Crane.
1: And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture.
0: As our regular listeners know, Elisa and I started a conference this year called Unshaken. Along with our friend Frank Turek, we've done three dates so far to equip the church to live for Jesus in a world increasingly at odds with Christianity. Well, after we wrapped up the Tucson conference a couple of weeks ago, Elisa and I were talking about all the wonderful people that we got to meet at the end of the day out at our book tables. And as we talked about some of the conversations we had, we realized that there was really this recurring theme, something that we were hearing over and over from people. And it was this. It's so nice to know we're not crazy. It's so nice to be with other believers who hold to the truth of scripture and not feel so alone. Now that's a paraphrase, but I can say that multiple people said it's so nice to know they're not crazy specifically. That is the, use, the word that they were using. And Elisa and I feel like that says so much about the state of the church. So we want to talk about that today for those who maybe don't make it to a conference, but are feeling the same. It can be lonely within the church to have a biblical worldview. And if you're feeling that, we hope to encourage you today. But first, let's do some announcements in our tips of the week.
1: Right. Well, we are so excited that our next Unshaken is just a month away, and it's actually coming to my hometown, Nashville, on November 4th. And many of you have already gotten your tickets, but there are still plenty of tickets available for Nashville. Go to unshakenconference.com to register. And then, of course, my tip of the week has to do with an objection to Christianity that might be brought up to you by a skeptical friend or a loved one. And that has to do with what we call the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. It's difficult for many people to reconcile the idea that God could be both all loving and all powerful, yet still allow evil and suffering in the world. And so my tip for today is that this type of conversation will not be fruitful if we don't first diagnose where the person is at who is bringing up the objection. So with the problem of evil, there's what we call the philosophical problem, and then there's the pastoral problem. In other words, when somebody brings this up, they are most likely enduring some kind of suffering in their own life and trying to make sense of it. Um, Maybe it's an unexpected cancer diagnosis, the death of a loved one, something like that. And that is not the time to bring in philosophical arguments like the free will defense or the moral argument. That person just needs our understanding, and as Scripture says, cry with those who cry. But it might be that someone is just trying to wrap their intellect around this perceived difficulty, but they're not necessarily going through some kind of a deep trial. And in that case, we can bring out those logical arguments. But I think just with any uh, apologetic topic, you really just kind of want to figure out why the person is asking the question in the first place. And that can really help you choose a path for how you go about ministering to the needs of your friend or loved one
0: yeah always ask questions first, right? that's a that's yep. kind of an apologetics rule that's really good. That is so much more important of a tip than the one that I have to offer today. <laughs> this sounds like the most ridiculously unimportant tip, but it's just something that's been bugging me lately. So here it goes. My tip today is to never use a laughing emoji on a social media comment that's intended to be serious. Mm. I keep seeing this happen, and I don't know Lisa, if you if you've noticed this lately, but it feels like there are so many online discussions where but even between Christians. People will comment about something, like for example, they'll make their comment about their view on the age of the earth. And then someone else who has a different view will leave a laughing emoji on the comment because they disagree, even though there was nothing intended to be funny about the comment. And so the person who comes along to leave that is trying to say, hey, oh, this is really silly or this is so ridiculous. And it's just insulting. It's so rude. And I am surprised how often I actually see that. So, if you disagree with someone, explain why, but do it graciously. If you would not laugh in someone's face to mock them for something they said in person, and hopefully that you wouldn't do that, don't do the online equivalent. Very important and yet unimportant tip for today.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I that is so good because we are just living in a culture of mockers and mockery And it's easy when you're hiding behind a keyboard to just do that. But that is great advice. Don't do anything online you wouldn't do in person if you're sitting right in front of the person looking right into their eyes, right? That's a really good tip. Well, like Natasha said, it really stood out to us that uh, the people we talked to were feeling a sense of relief to know that they weren't crazy and holding to biblical authority and biblically faithful positions on culturally hot topics. So there was definitely a sense that it was encouraging to people to be with like, Like minded believers. But that should really lead us to ask why are people feeling this way at our conference in particular when they're supposed to be surrounded by fellow Christians each week at church? So, why is it that they're not coming away from church saying that it's nice to know they're not crazy? Well, there are, of course, several reasons that this is the case, but we want to talk about a couple of factors that we think are driving this feeling of loneliness in particular. And the first is that many pastors just don't want to talk about the kinds of topics we're discussing at the Unshaken Conference. We're talking about things like deconstruction, gender, sexuality, so- social justice, abortion, cancel culture. And many feel like if they do, they're giving, you know, if their pastors do talk about these things, they're giving very unsatisfying answers that seem to either capitulate to culture, uh, or just completely go off the rails rather than stand for biblical clarity. So Christians who realize the importance of these subjects and hold to biblically faithful yet unpopular views, they aren't getting that encouragement from the pulpit. And I think there's probably a couple reasons that pastors tend to avoid these topics. Uh, I think that as topics in culture tend to become more conversation pieces, and then they're sometimes tends to be legislation about them, pastors will shy away from them thinking, oh, well, this is just a political issue. But as our friend Frank Turek points out in his talk and book, Legislating Morality, you know there are topics like abortion wasn't a political topic 50 years ago until it was one. And just because something becomes a, a political topic, we can't stop talking about it. And I think also maybe another reason that pastors shy away from it is, we've talked on this podcast about Big Eva. These are big platforms that are advising pastors how to handle handle topics. But maybe the person in the pew is experiencing some of these issues in a really, really different way. And here's a perfect example. So I studied deconstruction. I just finished a book on it. And if you go to some of these big EVA platforms, they they kind of tend to characterize deconstruction as something that can be positive. It can be something that's helpful for people. Yet, night after night, when I talk to people in the pews, they know exactly what we're talking about when we talk about deconstruction, which is a deconversion of its own Kind because they're living it out with their loved ones and their kids and their spouses who are deconstructing, which means they're leaving the historic Christian faith. So the pastors might have this sort of big platform idea of what it is, but the people in the pews have a, they know exactly what's going on with the people in their lives. And so there can be this sort of disconnect there too. And I also think with so many people being discipled by social media, the pastors can also maybe be a little bit out of the loop about how hard their parishioners are being hit with these things. So a pastor might be speaking to something on one level, not realizing that so many people in the pews are being discipled by social media influencers. And again, that can lead to a bit of a disconnect.
0: Yeah, that's that's so true. And also, I think that um, you know, in terms of being out of the loop a little bit, that's not to be critical of pastors. They have such a huge job, right? They are responsible for so many things, not just staying up to date on all the things that we're talking about here. And so they, you know, they're they're counseling people and they're visiting people and they're praying with people. I mean, there's so much that goes into a pastor's job. But I think because of that, they don't necessarily always have the time to get equipped on all of these different subjects. And so they're going to, if they're not equipped on it, they might not realize the importance of it, like you were saying, yeah. and the people in the pews are feeling that more, or even if they know the importance of it, they might not have had the opportunity yet or the time to really dig in and understand some of these subjects. And so they're going to be hesitant to actually talk about them. So I've heard from quite a few people where that was the case in their church, that they noticed that maybe there was some kind of influence that was coming in from an unbiblical movement. And when they took it to the pastor and they said, hey, you know, this there's a problem with this, uh, the pastor was like, well, I, I don't even know about this. And so mm. they actually educated their pastor. About it, so I think just being equipped is something that not necessarily every pastor is is um, already in that position. So that's that's a really important point. Well, a second factor, I think, lies in statistics. And so here I am being the stats person again. But a lot of people have heard me talk about these stats, and they, they're really critical for this. 65% of Americans identify as Christians. That doesn't tell you what people believe. It's just what people call themselves. But when you look at the research on what people believe, it's estimated now that fewer than 5% of Americans have a biblical worldview, meaning that they hold the beliefs that are consistent with core truths taught in the Bible. But here's the stat that we think is so relevant to what we're hearing at unshaken conferences. According to that same research on worldviews that tells us that fewer than 5% of people have a biblical worldview, only 21% of people in evangelical churches have a biblical worldview. And I'm, if, if anyone's new to this research, if you haven't been listening to our episodes and heard us talk about this, I talk about all this research in depth on in my book, Faithfully Different. So you can, you can go there if you're interested in more of the, the research. But think about what that means. If you hold to a biblical worldview On average, eight of the 10 people sitting next to you in church hold a different worldview. So they may have a lot of beliefs that overlap, like they probably think that God is love, that it's important to love others, or maybe even that Jesus died for their sins, but they're going to have different views on some really big and important topics, and especially the kinds of cultural topics that are so dividing people today. And the reason that you find that out as a churchgoer that, hey, I believe some very different things than the people sitting around me, is because suddenly over time, it becomes apparent in church groups that you're in. Whether it's a social group or a Bible study, you start hearing comments that are made by the people around you and you start to realize, hey, not everyone is on the same page about some really big topics. And that can start to feel really isolating, especially because this isn't something of small importance. It's not like you just learned that everyone at church likes artichokes and you don't. <laughs> I mean, like Elisa said, this is something that is it, people are experiencing in some really significant ways in their personal lives. So When you start to see that the majority of the church around you doesn't see the Bible in the same way, or if they see it in the same way, they're not applying it consistently to cultural issues, or even if you are, they're not willing to speak up, then you start to feel like you're alone. So the people who tend to come to our conferences are those who realize the importance of being bold today in culture, and that can be a lonely place within the church. So those are just a couple of reasons why we think Christians are feeling lonely within the church. And it actually makes sense to us if you consider those factors. But we want to spend the rest of our time offering some encouragement if that's how you're feeling. We're each going to share three suggestions. Elisa, what do you have?
1: Well, I feel this loneliness myself. So I just thought I would share some things that I've tried to do in my own life. And the first one is to seek out friendships with people who are like-minded. And this is actually one of the benefits of social media is that you can find people that may not be in your local area that are really seeking to be biblically faithful Christians, and you can connect with them and be encouraging to them and Get encouragement from them. So that would be number one. And number two would be to pray for your pastor and your church uh, congregation, sorry, because remember that as Christians, we want to approach our local church with the attitude of how can I serve? Not necessarily how can I be served. So if you're in a if you're in a church that's progressive or teaching heresy, by all means consider leaving that church and finding a biblically faithful church. But if not, if your church is biblically faithful, but maybe they just don't really speak out on some of these things or maybe Maybe there's a little bit of confusion on some things. I recommend using your gifts and talents to serve in the best way you can. Maybe offer to be the solution. Maybe offer to teach a class or lead a small group or start a book club or something. Pastors, like Natasha said earlier, they're so busy. They're counseling. They're, They're doing so many different things. And I've even heard from pastors that it's so helpful if somebody comes with a criticism that they also come with a solution. So be the solution. And then the third thing is just to remember that what we do we do for an audience of one. This comes from an Oz Guinness quote that I love, and it's this. It says, I live before the audience of one. Before others, I have nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove. And so I think this having this audience of one mentality is quite freeing, because you get to remind yourself that the only person you truly have to please is the Lord, and that's who you want to be faithful to. So those would be my three. What about you, Natasha?
0: I love that Oz Guinness quote. That's great. and it, it just reminds us too. we have to reset our expectations. <laughs> we mm-hmm. might have gotten a little a little soft and in, uh, in prior years or prior decades that we don't have to necessarily. Um, see things the same way, but now it's it's hitting us front and center, and so we have to really remember, reset our expectations, and understand that we're only here to please God. Yeah. Well, my first encouragement is kind of similar to what Elisa said: to see this as an opportunity to disciple others in your local church, and what that looks like is going to depend on the person and the church. So there's not like one specific thing, but just consider leading a, a Bible study, even where you're just helping other Christians learn to love the Bible and study it well. You know, if you want more people around you to have a biblical worldview, that starts with getting them to read the Bible and understanding how to read the Bible and, and reading it to the, the best of our ability. So that's a hugely important first step, I think. And get involved with your youth ministry. There's such a need to kind of facilitate the the discipleship and the training of the next generation. If your church tends to do book studies on books that aren't very deep, offer to lead one and pick a better book. So like Elisa said, just be part of the solution. And if you're feeling that loneliness, see it as an opportunity to bring more people in to understanding the importance of these topics. The second encouragement is to keep reading books, listening to podcasts or watching videos of people who do speak on the big subjects today in a biblically faithful way. It is not a substitute for your pastor. So I want to be really clear about that. But if you're in a church where your pastor does avoid these topics or maybe not even intentionally, just doesn't touch them, this kind of content can be of great support. So you know you're not alone. And oftentimes you can hook into communities around those authors and speakers online to find others who care about the same things on social media. So think Facebook groups, for example, and that's just one type. So yes, there are some good uses of social media. And finally, don't forget to stay grounded in the Bible yourself. No one knows everything. So seek to continually grow in your knowledge of the Lord and his Word, so that you are fed well enough to be able to speak with truth and love into the
1: lives of others. Yeah, that's really good. Well, thank you all so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Tilders podcast for more long-form episodes where we go deeper into topics like these. But for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on. That, as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken.